Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. This week, we have Meg Murphy and Luke Young. They are the co founders of Outlines, which is a new home essentials DTC company that has a really interesting model. They have some really interesting products. I want to get into launching a new brand, sort of how the model works, all that jazz. Meg, Luke, thanks for joining me. How are you guys doing? We're great. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. So, first, uh, why don't I'll start with Meg. What's the origin of of Outlines? How did it start and how does it all work? Yeah, so it's funny. I actually normally let Luke start with this um, because it it actually kind of started with him. So why don't you go, Luke? Yeah, so um, you can probably tell from my accent that I'm I'm from London in the UK. And I moved to New York about uh, about 10 years ago now. And like every New Yorker, um, every apartment I had required a plastic shower curtain liner. And coming from, you know, coming from the UK, uh, that was, that was new to me. We normally have like, you know, separate shower, plexi, plexiglass kind of setup. And I just kind of ha- I hated it. Like I would buy a brand new one and within like three to six months, it would be like slimy and disgusting. And, you know, coming from Europe, where we have a very different relationship with waste than what I encountered when, when I moved to the States, uh, I knew that if I was to replace it, it was simply going to landfill. Um, so I would live with it for far too long. And, you know, you wouldn't live with like dirty sheets or, you know, any other product like this in your home. So, uh, I was at the time I was working for, uh, I was working in D2C. I was working for an, an ed tech company. And I just had this idea of what, you know, it's probably like the least exciting D2C business of all time, which was a subscription shower liner business. Like, could we sell a shower liner whereby uh, every, you know, three, six months, whatever that cadence would be, you would get a new one in the mail. You would take down your old one, hang the new one up and send the old one back to us. And we would, you know, ensure that it was responsibly recycled. Um, Thus, you would keep your bathroom clean. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you weren't like contributing to the growing plastic waste crisis. So uh, at that time I was working, Meg and I were working for separate companies in a co-working space. And I kind of pitched her the idea. And we started working on this this kind of side hustle shower line of business uh, in our evenings and weekends. Wow. All right. And so, Meg, what was your background then at the time? Yeah, I was also some almost exact same story as Luke. I was working for a UK startup, CPG startup, um, remotely in the U.S., and I obviously I'm from the U.S., so I grew up with shower liners. Um, I've always had one in a home. Um, but of course, yes, I hate them as well. I don't think anyone likes shower liners. So, I mean, I very much empathized with the pain point and liked the idea. Um, and I think Luke and I had always just kind of been spitballing ideas and bonding over the highs and lows of working for startups and And so, you know, we were always kind of thinking and I, so I decided I wanted to kind of join him on this journey. And we started this MVP, as he said, on nights and weekends, and the data started becoming very interesting. And it was very important to both of us having come from this world that we did test it. And we just got an initial idea of what some benchmarks might look like before we jumped in, you know, full time. Um, and I think that what was really exciting to us was actually the customer engagement. So when, you know, we were just selling shower liners at the time, but we actually had customers reaching out to us um, saying, you know, have you guys thought about toilet brushes or dish scrubbers or loofahs? And that's what really started to open our eyes to this much bigger opportunity that I think got us much more excited about what it could be. 
um, and what is now Outlines today. Yeah, well, so that leads into the next question was, from the outset, was the did you just think this was going to be a shower liner business, or did you have ambitions to go beyond that at the beginning? Um, I think we kind of thought it was going to be a shower liner business. I mean, obviously, that was never going to be a big enough business on yeah, its like, own. What, what, is, what is the shower liner industry? Did you get, was that part of the <laughs> I mean, the, the shower research? liner industry is big because, yeah? um, and we've done, obviously we've done a lot of research into this, yeah. but even new builds and new homes usually require at least one shower liner. Um, most homes still have one bathroom that has the shower tub combo. And the reason for that is families. Um, it's much easier to bathe your kids in that type of shower. So um, most homes, even new builds still require shower liners. I think one of the things that I, I found really interesting was that we started, when we started this business and we started to look at the problem of shower liners, what we actually discovered was that there was this much bigger problem in the kind of consumer model, which is replenishment is fundamentally broken, right? Like in the United States, it's only something like nine, it's like something like 98% of plastic that's put into recycling is not recycled. Um, and there are these just these products all around our home that lie somewhere between being single use and things that we use forever, that just by the jobs that they do, whether that's cleaning or organizing, they inevitably require replacing. So like if you think of like a sponge, no one wants to clean their dishes with the same sponge forever. And what got us really excited was, you know, we had both kind of gathered all these learnings from working in D2C businesses but what could we build upon the D2C model that would allow us to be more competitive and to kind of reinvent the, this model of replenishment? And that's what excited us. So these products for us are, are kind of just the beginning of what we think we can do, um, kind of building upon uh, the, the D2C uh, learnings that we had. Can you talk me through what the MVP exactly was? Because it sounds like it's more than just a shower liner. It was like building the back end so that you could have replenishment built. And like, it seems like there was a lot more to it than just building a product and selling it to people. There's the whole reverse logistics aspect of it. There's the making sure. So how did you educate yourself in that? And how do you build that as a, as a small company? Um, so with the MVP, it was actually quite simple. We essentially took care of all the reverse logistics ourselves. We were shipping everything ourselves and just using Shopify. It was, it was a pretty easy setup. Um, and again, that was just the shower liner. So we weren't thinking kind of bigger about these other products yet. Um, but obviously, as we have grown, that has gotten more complicated and um, a bigger challenge. But um, it's, it's something that because we knew that this was so important and such a big part of responsible replenishment, we built into our model from the very beginning before we sold a single product. So we were thinking about that, um, you know, as we were setting our shop up, as we were setting our logistics up, as we were setting up our operations. Um, and so since it's like in the core of our business, we've, we've been able to manage it quite well. And, you know, we think a lot about as we launch new products, how do we do that seamlessly? How do we make sure that those things marry and we're not shipping, you know, air or waste? Um, and so it's kind of constantly in the back of our minds um, about the reverse logistics and operation, operations in general. And when did you guys first launch? When did the first product hit the market? So we launched in January this year. Um, very exciting. We essentially spent most of last year building the business, developing the first product or two, ran into all of the all of the fun lockdown and Q4 shipping supply chain issues that that yes. so many companies did. Um, but we finally got all the product into our warehouse towards the end of last year and launched in January. 
Um, and so as you can see from our site, I'm sure we launched with our shower liner system, which is a much more innovative, elevated take, I will say, on a typical shower liner. And we already have our second product on pre-order now, and we've got products three and four um, just about ready to go in the pipeline as well. Between the two of you, how do you divvy up like the responsibilities or what each of you do? Like what are what are the two what are the, the various expertise that you each have for as co-founders of the business? That's an interesting question. I think when we started out, we were very aware of like our kind of skills and backgrounds and how we thought we would divvy up the responsibilities um, of running a brand. But the truth is that once you get going, it actually benefits you to both be able to do everything because the issues of, you know, being alive, <laughs> like, for example, like I was like, I was, you know, I had a bit of a bad health run for like three weeks and like being able to both, you know, pick up and kind of tag team on everything is, is in the interest of, of the business. Um, but before that, I think we'd come from, you know, I had come from a more like business development and growth background, um, Meg obviously went to business school and had run business operations for a, a brand that not only sold product, but manufactured product that had a shelf life, which is an incredibly complex thing to manage. Um, but yeah, I think day to day, we actually do most, we're, we're pretty good at doing most things together. And the two glaring areas where we don't, aren't skilled, which are so important to our business, which is, you know, the brand and creative, and then in in the actual design of the products, we found two incredible people um, to build out the team. So that's great because those are the two important things that Luke and I definitely didn't necessarily bring (laughs) to the table. So you guys are just all of the back end, the the sort of nitty gritty that no one ever wants to talk about, which is good. I feel like a lot of co-founders are usually more in the marketing space, but you guys seem to have the nuts and bolts of the actual business as your expertise. We definitely get involved in the growth and marketing. As Luke said, he's um, his background is very much growth. Um, but as far as like the actual brand and building the brand and the brand identity and staying true to it, we've we uh, we have an amazing um, hire or employee who's been with us from the beginning. So when you launched in January of this year, how did you go, like, what was the initial, like, marketing plan? How did you go out acquiring customers? And given that so much of the story is about the replenishment model, how did you go about trying to tell that story? Yeah, so we were quite lucky because we had amassed, you know, a couple of thousand customers from our MVP. So our first, you know, important call was to go back to those customers and you know, many of them we had interviewed or got to know as we were really understanding like what made that MVP successful and how we were going to build upon it to, to launch outlines. But one thing I think that was really exciting to both Meg and I, we had come from, we had both come from previous businesses that were kind of category creators. And when you're introducing a new product or creating a category, that is a big lift. Like you have to educate people on like what this is, why they need it. Like there's no organic search volume. Like it is really hard. So we were actually really excited when we were launching these like basic humble home essentials and we just had to intercept existing user journeys. So like people were searching for them and we just had to essentially like siphon business from like Amazon, Target, Bed Bath & Beyond. Like we just had to get that customer, tell a more compelling story, show why our value proposition was better. And, you know, obviously our pricing is slightly higher, but we we were doing it. We were winning them. So we actually found that um, by looking for the customers where there was that existing uh, intent that they were looking for this product, uh, we were really successful. So for us, that was paid search and um, affiliate, like these listicle style pieces, like what is the best shower liner, like best 
eco-friendly shower line and really going after them. And we really prioritize that over the typical D2C playbook of just heavily leaning into like a paid social campaign. Um, and we, you know, that continues to work really well for us. Can you walk me through just sort of how the first few months went and sort of, you know, what was, were the keywords that you were launching was just eco-friendly, that kind of thing. And yeah, just walk me through exactly how you went about trying to siphon off. Is it just getting in those listicles and then knowing the right keywords or was there anything else in the, the overall brand positioning that you thought was important? Yeah, so we we really thought about that user journey. So one thing that we launched with, which we've done a whole, you know, with us through our partnership with Working Co, we've, we've kind of taken to the next level is we had a quiz on our website and it, it was very similar to like what you would see with like a skincare company and it would ask you questions about your home and your lifestyle and it would produce a result. And for us, that was really a tactical marketing play. We wanted to get users thinking about how often they do or do not replace these items. So what we were finding was that that, that quiz experience was both educational, but it was also kind of for us, part of our funnel, right? Like we asked them for their email at a certain stage in that. And after that, we really optimized our email flows to go to go after that customer and to explain why buying from us is not just better for them, better for the planet and you know a much nicer product than if they were to just buy something for a fraction of the price from an incumbent retailer. Um, I think we made a lot of mistakes in the first couple of months um, of what we were bidding on, where we were specifically marketing, but it was really just a, a process of um, you know, testing and learning. And what is the price point or sort of how does the overall model work in terms of the pricing? Because it's subscription, right? That's how it works? It is. Um, so it's the initial product, and I should probably back up a bit here, um, how we're designing these products, which is also part of responsible replenishment, um, is so that you only need to replace the part that actually gets dirty. So for a lot of these products, a toilet brush is probably the most obvious example. You don't actually need to throw away the entire thing when it needs to be refreshed, right? And so we can, you know, we're thinking about these in two parts. We call these two parts the keep and the replen, the part that you keep, obviously, forever, and the part that you replace. And what's great about that is that allows us to optimize for two different things with those parts. So with the keep, you know, we really invest in really nice premium materials, long-lasting materials. And with the replen, we're really optimizing for um, recyclability or compostability, um, and then obviously shipping and fulfillment. So that being said, our initial product, the shower liner, is made up of two parts, a top and a bottom. That initial set retails for 50 but then the replenishments, so every time you get your new replenishment in the mail, is $25. So much closer to, you know, what a typical shower liner would cost. Um, and that model will be applied to our, all of our products going forward, that keep and replen model. You know, it makes sense why you're DTC now and also why you could be DTC forever just because that make, it's much easier. But I imagine so many people, you know, they go to Bed Bath & Beyond, they go to Target for these types of... So how like how do you envision, envision sort of a retail journey with that? Or is that even part of your vision right now? H how are you thinking about just the fact that people do buy so many home essentials in person when your model sort of requires this 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 other part of it. Yeah, retail is is a huge part of our strategy. We're both we both have backgrounds in launching brands into retail. Luke definitely more than me. Um he actually led their entire launch into retail at his last company. But we love retail. We're very excited about it. And we're especially excited about these products in retail because I think these aisles and these categories in retail can feel quite stagnant. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, and we've, we've spoken with some buyers to get some early feedback. Um, they're, they're definitely ready for a refresh and a new brand to come in. Um, 
So similar to if you've ever seen like how Quip sells the toothbrush in retail, you know, you buy the initial set or the initial system, but then you can easily register directly with the company to get your replacements at the cadence you you choose. So I think, you know, that's one way that we see retail can still work really, really well for for this type of model, this responsible replenishment model. Luke, anything to add? I think the one thing I, you know, it's definitely become a, a natural step for D2C businesses to go into retail. Um, I think Meg and I have both learned the hard way that, you know, retail, whilst it can be incredibly lucrative, like you have to be very specific and strategic about when retail expansion is right for your brand um, and know that you have a robust D2C business before you make that step because it can, it can, it can work the opposite way as well. And you just have a ton of inventory <laughs> scattered all over the country and you've got to, you know, you've got to sell it. And I, I think retailers as well are becoming much more, uh, you know, from what I'm seeing, they're becoming much more numbers driven when it comes to introducing these brands and you only really get one shot. So if you're going to put all this stuff into retail, you need to be really sure that it's going to shift and that it's, you know, it's B to B to C. So I think for us, you know, when we do see it as part of our strategy, but like when the time is right. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Please stay with us. First, I'd like to know a little bit about manufacturing and how, how that all works. So where did like, how do you, how did you go about sourcing the product? Where is it built? And how like how are you able to scale that as you add more products to the fold? Yes, the, these products, as I'm sure you can imagine, have not been made in the US for like decades and decades and decades now, which means that the machinery, the expertise, even the access to raw materials is just, it just doesn't exist. And to bring all that back would result in a product cost that you know, a, a US consumer is just not willing to, to, to pay. So we had to do what like a lot of brands do and you know, really look for suppliers overseas, but ones that you know, met our standards and you know, were reputable. Um, we have a great partner who um, is based in Southeast Asia, um, who's incredibly transparent and has worked with other uh, you know, mission-led or um, eco-friendly brands um, who we've worked with. But it was, it was a real struggle. Um, I think you know, long term, we would love to take the steps to domestically manufacture and and one day even be completely closed loop. So for example, the toilet brush heads that you're sending back to us are cleaned and melted down and then remade into the next um, outlines, re- replants that we're sending out to customers. Um, I think, you know, some brands have done some incredible things in terms of bringing manufacturing back to the US, like Method is a brand that we really admire, what they did in Chicago. Um, so I think, you know, Big vision would be to do something like that. Is this Southeast Asian manufacturer making, or is your hope to they manufacture everything you make or just the shower liners? Right now, uh, we're working with them on them on everything. Um, and they've been a great partner. Um, so we've had no reason to, to kind of shake that up. What happens on sort of this, the second half when you, when you get the things back? Are you sending them back to the manufacturer or sort of how are you, what is the recycling process here? Yeah, so we work with um, a recycling partner. So when you do return an Outlines product back to us, first of all, it comes back to our our warehouse and we do a process of consolidation. So we're uh, screening the packages to make sure that people haven't put anything in there that's not an Outlines product because we're not a recycle, like we can't recycle everything. Um, (laughs) And then once we have a critical mass of those, we work with a trusted domestic recycling partner to, um, to basically break down that material and to make other things that are domestically manufacturable here in the U.S. 
uh, we don't export any of our material and we don't work with any overseas recycling partners. So let's go into product expansion now and sort of how you're approaching that. You mentioned toilet bowl cleaners. I imagine that, that or brushes, that must be on the horizon given the example I keep hearing. What exactly is in the pipeline and how do you decide which ones you're going to hit and, and what the timeline with that is? Thank you, Anatis. Yeah, I'll, uh, so the next product, it's, it's very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> so our next product is called the Body Buffer. And I have been a long, long time loofah user, the, the horrible plastic nylon users. I hate um, loofahs, which I hate to admit. Um, but, you know, people that have used them for a long time, they just use them and they love them. And it almost I almost feel like I can't get clean without it. Um, but similar to a shower liner, it gets very, very dirty, very, very quickly. And it's wasteful and it's horrible. So. The second product is the body buffer. And we're excited about that because it's kind of a nice adjacent product to a shower liner. It's still kind of in the shower. Yeah, you're starting in the shower and then expanding slowly outward. Exactly. And um, it also came about because we surveyed um, a lot of customers and about what they do use in the shower. And so many of them actually do use the same type of loofah that I use. So it seemed like a very um, natural second product. But as we kind of expand beyond that, we have a long list of um, factors and things that we're looking at um, and what is the next, pro- the next correct product. But of course, a big piece of that is also speaking to real customers. And, you know, luckily, we have quite a few now that we can go back to and consult. Um, so we kind of take those two things, put them together, and then that helps us decide what our kind of product three and four is going to be. That being said, we do want to start moving out of the bathroom because we are not a bathroom brand. We are a household brand, a home brand. Um, So our third product will be in the kitchen, which is very exciting. And then I imagine we'll kind of remain in the kitchen or around the kitchen for the, you know, the next few after that. Um, But it's a, it's a, you know, it's a data-driven process. And we're also looking, of course, at where we think we can make great improvements on products that already exist. Can you say what part of the kitchen it is? Or is it, is it going to be a sponge? I, I'm, I'm interested to know. Sure, yeah, we can say. Right, Luke? <laughs> can we say? Okay. A third product is actually going to be a toilet brush. So the fourth product is when we will move into the kitchen, which will be a dish scrubber. All right. With the body scrubber, you have it on pre-sale right now on your website, I saw. So how much are you trying to target that to your existing customers? And how much will you be trying to get new customers into the fold who might not have been have not been thinking about a shower curtain, but now we're thinking about washing their own body. How, how are you approaching all of that? Yeah, we will definitely um, put, you know, make sure that our current customer base is aware of it first and foremost before anyone else. We haven't actually drawn any attention to it as of yet. Um, but, you know, they're our first port of call, as Luke said earlier, and they're the ones that we consulted in, in deciding on what our second product would be. But we are excited about the body buffer and targeting new customers. Um, I think, you know, it it is a similar customer, but one thing about shower liners is not every single person needs a shower liner. So some homes simply just don't have a shower tub combo that requires one. So the great thing about the body buffer and what I know we're really excited about is that literally anyone can use it or buy it. Um, So, you know, our reach could potentially and our, you know, potential target customer base could be could be much bigger than the shower liner. I wanted to ask a broader question to you both, though I'll, I'll give this to Luke because I think this is more more in your wheelhouse for your background. But 
there's been a lot of headlines of late, or actually over the last like two years about subscription fatigue, or just like there are a lot of DTC brands that started as subscription only, and some of them worked and some of them didn't. And given that yours is so predicated on that, like what are you seeing A from your customers and B, are you are you trying to fight that in any way? Or how are you how are you approaching that so that you don't reach a huge churn problem in the end? Yeah, I think I think you have to kind of take a step back and realize like why did subscription and D2C kind of pair so nicely together? And really we saw D2C kind of penetrate into every product vertical possible. And with rising CACs, like subscription is just a, a natural step, um, you know, in terms of paying off that what it costs to win a customer. So I think what users began to see is subscription in product categories that just made very little sense. And what that really felt like was a push from these brands to essentially encourage these people to overconsume and to buy more than what they actually needed. Um, one of the words that, like, when I think about outlines and the brand and the business that we want to build is this word considered. Like, everything we do, we want to be highly considered in what, we, in what we're putting into the world, whether it's the physical design of our products right through to how we speak about them with transparency. And we think our subscriptions are highly considered, right? We ask our users to answer questions about their life and their home so that they're only subscribing to what they actually need. And they're never receiving an abundance of product and they're never getting it sooner than they need. We think about the interface with how that user can manage a subscription and we want to make it stupidly simple for them to pause, to skip, to cancel so that they really feel fully in control of that subscription. Um, And that it's not this horrible, frictionful experience of like, how on earth do I cancel this? And I think the third thing to add to that is we want to be really transparent in terms of measurement. So as users participate in responsible replenishment and send products back to us, we actually have a little calculator in our account side of the site, which totals up how much plastic they're recycling. So unlike a typical subscription where you may find your your closet is filling up with product, uh, with our subscription, you're actually seeing the positive impact you're making by being an outlines user versus just throwing these, these things away. So I actually think um, subscription is core to our business, not just a, a next step to increase the lifetime value of our, our customers. Meg, anything to add from that? Um, no, not really. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, we can talk more about work and co, but that what Luke's talking about is, is exactly um, what we've been working with work and co on um, to build out. So, well, let's go into that. What what have you worked with work and co on? They redesigned your website, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a true partnership. Um, Work and Co. Obviously, as I'm sure you know, work with like these titans of commerce from like Lululemon right through the Givenchy, and we were quite lucky that when we met uh, you know, Mohan and the team there, they were just really enthused about what we were building and what we were doing, and you know the kind of ground that we were trying to break in terms of you know, innovating subscription and innovating um, in this kind of e-com interface. Um, and yeah, you know, we we had a few meetings with them where we were like, hey, we're kind of building this, but we can never afford you guys like. Cool. Um, and they actually came to us and they said, no, 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 like we want to, you know, we want to kind of show the breadth of our skills. Um, and, you know, would you guys, would you guys be interested in like taking some investment from us in terms of us helping you take this, ex- this digital experience to the, to the next level? Um, and we, we were excited from just not, just not just the user experience, but also what that would do to outlines, like look and feel. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of blanding and a lot of, D2C brands begin to look kind of similar. Um, and we really wanted to give them the kind of artistic license to build something quite bold and that looks and feels very different to um, other um, 
brands and kind of companies of our size. So what is the ideal user experience for buying a replenishable shower curtain online? So like what what were the big changes that were made that made this better than going to bedbathandbeyond.com? I think the first part of that is what we call the configurator. Um, So as Luke mentioned in our kind of first site version, it looked like just a typical quiz that you often see on personal care beauty sites. Um, but what Work & Co. have built is a much smarter and much more kind of organic experience on site. And it actually gives you all the variables that affect um, the lifetime of these products right from the beginning. So you go through this experience and as you're going through it, it's also very interesting to customers. We had so many people tell us, I don't actually know how often I'm supposed to replace this, replace this but I know I don't want mold growing in my home next to me. So as you're going through this, you're also kind of going through this educational experience as well, and you're learning. So whether you choose, you know, the recommended plan or not, you're going through it and learning how you can actually extend the life of these products as well, which is really cool. But ultimately what it does is it kind of, you go through, you answer the questions. Obviously there's lots of research on mold and data in the back end, and it comes to you with the recommendation on, on how often you should be replacing these products based on you know, your personal needs. So that's where the customer journey starts. And then as Luke said, um, you know, we've thought as well about the transparency and the management as well. So those audio, you know, they almost look like audio controls to control your plan were really, really important to us because we don't want anyone to feel stuck in any way or not in control. Given that you guys are so laser focused on sort of the customer experience, you have this very, very cool website. And you talked about how, you know, retail will almost certainly be in what's on the horizon in a few months from now or a little bit from now. But like, what are your thoughts on, I don't know, things like Amazon, where that's where a lot of people are searching for uh, for shower curtains. Would there ever be an outlines version of that on Amazon? Or is it just such an, a commerce, it's so focused on the transaction that you wouldn't be able to actually do what you wanted to do? I, I think we're building the antithesis of like subscribe and save on Amazon, right? We We're not going, we're not trying to compete on price. We're not trying to compete on, you know, uh, like, you know, buy now, use later, stock up. Like that's very different than what we actually want to to offer our users. Um, so I, I don't see Amazon in our, in our future right now. Um, however, if we were able to work with Amazon in a way where we could you know, stay true to our mission, uh, it would definitely be something we consider. But I think what, what will make Outline successful and what our customers are kind of, you know, from our small, you know, growing base of customers right now is having that direct relationship with them so that we can learn as much about, you know, how they're, how they're participating in responsible replenishment, the products they're asking for next, so that we can really build these kind of systems directly with them uh, before we look at diversifying into whether it's an Amazon, marketplaces, or, or retail. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Well, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask both of you what your major goals are for the year to come. It sounds like product expansion is the number one thing, but is there anything else? Or are there any other big goalposts you have on the horizon that you're thinking about? Yeah, I think I think staying kind of with replenishment at the core of our business. I think out, out, building outlines products is, is exciting and it's something that we can do. But I, I think one idea that Meg and I are really excited about is how can outlines be a hub for replenishment, not just for outlines products, but maybe possibly one day for other third-party products, um, specifically things that are maybe challenging to recycle or that you know, we as consumers neglect to recycle. How would that work? Was it like as in the, that last part, people could 
put something else in their outlines bag and send to you? We're really excited about the most boring products that we consume. So for example, <laughs> my refrigerator has this little light on it that tells me, hey, the water filter needs replacing. I have no idea how to do that. Like, I know I need to type in some serial number, but then when I do change it, it's this like big plastic thing. And when I put it in my trash can, it like makes a thump. Like it's a big thing. And that isn't going anywhere for like thousands of years. And the manufacturer doesn't offer any guidelines. Uh, but, you know, I want to drink fresh filtered water, so I want to change it. And I think when we think of like things in filtration or air purifying, there are all of these things that we need to keep our homes clean and tidy. But like the whole model of replenishing them is just really broken. Meg, anything else that you want to add that you're focused on for the year to come? Yeah, I think the other thing we're going to start thinking about more and more um, is partnerships and whether that's, you know, partnering with other brands as we are bringing new products to market, you know, the more products we have, the more opportunities there will be. Um, but even other um, businesses as well. So B2B, um, you know, I think there's a lot of cool businesses, hospitality brands doing really interesting things that would be great to work with, you know, kind of obviously on a smaller scale initially, but someday it could be quite big. So starting to sort of dip our toes into that as well is something I'm, I'm quite excited about in the next, next year. Yeah, I feel like that's I've, a lot of the brands that I've been talking to have been looking into that B2B line specifically, which that makes sense. Would you be interested? Would you be looking at like hotels? It feels like that would be the, mo- the easiest one for you guys. I mean, as long as it was something that we could service in this early stage. Yeah, not not um, every Hilton. <laughs> yeah, maybe not Hilton quite yet. Um, but, you know, we can start with, you know, there's a lot of cool, like, smaller property management companies that do Airbnbs or, you know, yeah. kind of rental places um, or boutique hotel chains or things like that, that, you know, we could start small, a little bit smaller um, and then work our way up till the hill, to the Hilton. Yes. Only a few years away. All right. Well, Meg, Luke, this has been great. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. Thanks so much. Thank Thank you. you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.